Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, uh, Houses of Worship, or how what place did houses or homes have in the structure and the ministry of the New Testament church? In this series, we are not going to be talking about specific ministries or types of ministries or religious activities that could or should take place in homes. We're just talking about the concept of how these facilities and this dimension of ministry that was the New Testament church uh, applies to us today. Again, according to Acts chapter 2, the early church met daily, publicly, and from house to house. So they had two dimensions of ministry. Today, we primarily just have one. And yes, more than ever before, there are churches that are doing uh, what some call small groups, life groups, home groups, home fellowship groups, what we've called here for years uh, care groups or care fellowship ministry groups. It doesn't matter what we're what we call them. It's some effort to use the homes. Now, it's not just about the groups because our groups meet a lot of different places. And you can have groups in many different places. But I'm in this series specifically talking about houses and homes and how those places that we dwell have an effect or impact in the early church, in the Bible. How did this, what happened in the Bible? Okay. Uh, and it, it's, it's really important because in the, in the last session, we talked about the word ecclesia. We talked about which is the Greek word that's translated church, and that when you combine or just amalgamate all of the different uh, uh, Greek uh, references that define the word ecclesia, from a New Testament perspective, the uh, the word church would be the assembly of the called out ones, uh, called out of this world, called out of darkness into His marvelous light. But it's the assembly; it's the joining together of that body. And it has nothing to do with the type of facility or lack thereof that the body uses to come together. Now, spiritually, even when we can't even see each other, we're still the body of Christ. But we know that spiritually and scripturally, it is also the will of God for the body of Christ to come together. And so I am, there is no intent in this video series to speak against the body of Christ assembling publicly. Absolutely. The entire body of Christ in a geographical area, if possible, should come together regularly. Now, the first church did it daily. Uh, we don't quite come close to that, but okay. Uh, I, I'm not here to get into that right now. Uh, but they also met from house to house. And meeting together in homes was a significant expression of the New Testament ministry. Plus, because of the culture and climate, political climate that they were in, since Christianity was actually contrary to the Jewish faith, so the Jews were hostile to the Christians, but also the Romans believed that Caesar was God, and so therefore Christianity was technically illegal, and 
they didn't always do this, but they did have the right legally to, uh, to arrest Christians and put them in jail. And if they wanted to go so far, they could execute them legally because of blaspheme. Because by claiming that this Jewish carpenter, the Lord Jesus Christ, was God, they were blaspheming against Caesar, who was their God. And so therefore, the public gatherings had to be fairly clandestine because of the risk of it to life and limb and and whatever. But uh, so therefore, their meeting privately in homes became probably the foundation of that ministry. Now, we know that since communism in 1917 in Russia and also communism in China after World War II has been what they have been, and also in many Muslim countries, the only way the church can be the church is meeting in homes. It's the only way the church can be the church. It's the only way the church can be the church. It's the only way the church can gather It's the only way the church could minister and function. It's the only way the church could thrive. So I'm asking this question today. What happens if things occur in our world, and specifically in North America, where because of health scares or economic situations or political parties coming into office that are anti-God, and they begin to try to shut public worship services down. What's the church going to do then? So in this lesson, what we really want to talk about is uh, the difference between the church and the kingdom of God. What's the difference? Are they synonymous terms? Now, we know Matthew chapter 28, and I'm just going to quote here. I don't have it on my screen, and they they may put it on your screen. So if it's not exact, then you know I'm quoting, not reading. Um, when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever shall loose on earth, you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The same terminology was used in Matthew chapter 18 about binding and loosing, and uh, again, in reference to the church. The only two times that the word church is used in all four Gospels is in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, and both times there was a future tense verb with the church, which means that the church did not exist in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John which also means that there's no one saved in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by the New Testament plan of salvation, which is the plan of salvation for being able to be a part of the church, the body of Christ. Everything that was talked about there was all foreshadowing of a New Testament salvation that was not fully revealed ever in the Gospels. But the principles were. And Jesus being the Christ, because there could not be a separate body of Christ, while the Christ walked the face of this earth, that's why he said, 
John 14, 12, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Why? Because I go to my Father. This expression of the body of Christ is being taken off the earth so that the, the, uh, the, the uh, eternal expression of the body of Christ can come into existence. Because for all of eternity, the church is going to be the body of Christ, not just in the earth now. And not just in the millennial kingdom, but in the eternal kingdom forever, the church is going to be the body of Christ. And so Jesus Christ as the head and the body only lasted for a little over or whatever it was, 33 plus years. We don't know exactly how long. We don't know how long. We don't know the year he died. We don't know the year he was born. Not literally. Okay. We got the calendar that started with zero on A.D., but uh, that uh, that was not the day he was born. Neither was the day he died. We don't know either one of those. So the issue here is this. Uh, this is, this is the, the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ the bride of Christ, the habitation of God through the Spirit, the temple of the Holy Ghost. Collectively, we're the temple of the Holy Ghost because each one of us individually is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I have to become a, I have to become a temple of the Holy Ghost to be a part of the collective temple of the Holy Ghost, which is the body of Christ. And we are members in particular of that body, but we are members and particulars of the body of Christ because we are individually temples of the Holy Ghost who become a part of the collective temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, <laughs> what is the difference? Well, notice Matthew in talking about the church. He, they, he recorded that Jesus said, unto you I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And some would say, well, what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Well, it just a very brief uh, concordance search of the phrase kingdom of heaven uh, in a good electronic uh, 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 software or Bible app that lets you do a combined word search, you will find quickly that no writer in the New Testament except one used the phrase, ever used the phrase kingdom of heaven. And that was Matthew. And the reason that is, uh, which I agree from my own study with what scholars say, is that the book of Matthew was specifically written with the Jewish believers as the focus. So therefore, because the Jews uh, who were the disciples asked Jesus on the day of his ascension, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were still looking for the kingdom of God to come for Israel, Matthew in his writings made the distinction kingdom of heaven so that the Jews would understand that the kingdom of God in the earth is not the kingdom of, that, of Israel being restored. Now, the kingdom is not going to be restored to Israel until what we call the millennial reign of Christ. And the word of God says, and it's promised that Christ is going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule over the world. 
So Jerusalem is going to be his world capital. Israel is going to be his, his host nation, his home base. And uh, the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. That's the natural side. The spiritual side is the body of Christ in the earth is going to be the kings and priests ruling with Christ over the entire world. That's why Jesus said to the guy with five talents and gained five more, you're going to be ruler over 10 cities. And the guy with two gained two more, you're going to be rulers over four cities. Because that's when that's going to take place. Now, I don't know to what extent that structure is going to carry over into the eternal kingdom, but I know that the kingdom's going to be restored to Israel after the end of, after the, the appearing, the gathering together, uh, of the, of the body to Christ, which we call the rapture, the catching away of the bride. Then after that seven year period, which is the Lord bringing well, twofold, he is pouring out wrath upon the iniquity of this world and he is bringing Israel back to a place of repentance. They're going to look on him whom they have pierced and grieve over all the years that they have rejected him and they're going to repent and they're going to be restored to relationship with God as the, that, that element or expression of the people of God. It's at the end of that seven years that Christ is going to establish his reign over the earth from Jerusalem. So Matthew is making this distinction for the Jews specifically of the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God to the rest of us. Because when you look at parallel passages between Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, you will find that Mark and Luke use the phrase kingdom of God in the same exact settings and scenarios where Matthew used the phrase kingdom of heaven. So I went through all of that to get to this. What is the relationship between, and what is the difference between what is the kingdom of, uh, what is the church and the kingdom of God? Well, this is really very simple, if you will allow me to be so simplistic. Biblically, I'm talking biblically, and this is a wonderful study, and I would love to spend the 50 lessons or more, and maybe someday I'll be permitted to do that, to teach these things. I would love to do that. That would be very, very, very spiritually edifying and thrilling, and it would also be naturally enjoyable for me uh, to do that. But that's not what this is about. So I'm just making this statement here. Uh, biblically, the church, the church, is who we are. Biblically, the kingdom of God is what we do right now in the earth. So we've got the spiritual kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Kingdom of God cometh not without observations. Uh, kingdom of God is not, uh, uh, is not right, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not word, but power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these talk, talk about the spiritual kingdom. It is not the purpose of the will of God of the church to take over hu human governments and rule nations now. That's not our goal. That's not our focus. It's not our goal. It's not our focus. I'm not saying it would be sin 
for an, a, a person that is a part of the church to be elected to an office. But that's not God's goal. It's not his focus. We are here representing a spiritual kingdom. We're here representing that. Okay? We're representing a spiritual kingdom. So, that spiritual kingdom, the, the phrase kingdom of God, really is indicative of what the church does. That's why Jesus connected the two. Upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth uh, shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Several translations actually go into the literal grammatical Greek, and it says this way, a uh, couple of those at least are amplif uh, the Amplified, the classic edition of the Amplified, and also uh, Weiss Expanded Translation of the New Testament. They basically translate it this way because this is the, the very literal translation of the Greek verbs and tenses. Oh, unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you Bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So this is our work. The kingdom of God is our work. And what is the work of the church that the Lord is building? It is to use the kingdom of king, the, the keys of, of the kingdom and the authority of God and the power of God to defeat the gates of hell. Now, what are gates? Well, whenever... In ancient times, whenever people had possessions and territory and peoples and they wanted to protect, they built walls around them. That's how they defended those things that they didn't want the marauding bands of armies and whatever to come and plunder them. Uh, they didn't want to be out in the open. They built walls. Well, the problem with the wall is the same wall that keeps the enemy out keeps you in. So then you have to put in gates. And because the gate is the weakness of the wall, it became the place that the most soldiers were deployed to defend. And so since it was the most defended part of the wall, it became figuratively to represent a place of authority of the city. In fact, it became, it eventually became the meeting place for the governing body of that city. And all through the scripture, you'll find the elders meeting in the gate or at the gate uh, in that area because it came to represent the authority of the city because that's where the most troops were. That was the place that was most strongly defended. And so the gates of hell is the authority of Satan or the power of Satan trying to defend that which he is trying to hold captive. But we have a promise from the beginning of the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And we've been given keys, tools, weapons to use against the authority and the power of Satan to loose those prisoners from that are being held captive inside his gates. Now I got a question. If our definition of the word church is strictly a facility and the calendar of the church and the meetings of the church and 
the focus of getting people to come to the church and all of that. How do you apply that concept to those scriptures? How does it apply? Well, it doesn't. And again, again, I'm not in any way speaking against the church coming together. And as long as we have the freedom to do it, uh, then our if we have nice facilities to meet in, fine. As long as those prisoners don't those the, those facilities don't become a prisoner of the gospel, and as long as what we do in those facilities doesn't pervert what we're called to do as the church. Praise God. As further affirmation of these points, let's look at the words of Jesus. How about Matthew 20, verse 18? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So he didn't say anything about where they gathered. He said the definition of his body of the church is two or more gathering in his name, wherever, whenever. He said he would show up and be there in them middle of them. See, there's two dimensions of having the Holy Ghost. There's the personal dimension because I'm a temple of God because I have the Holy Ghost in me. So God dwells in me. But when I come together with the body of Christ, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe it's the last verse of the chapter 2021, 20, uh, 20 or 21, he said we are the body of Christ, the, the temple of God, we are the habitation of God through the Spirit. So there is this indwelling God in us, in me, us individually. And then there's this God that manifests himself when two or three or more are gathered together in his name. Two different dimensions of manifestation of God. So I'm a habitation of God by myself, but collectively there's another whole different dimension of the habitation of God. The sad thing is when we limit all that down to uh, a facility, an address, you got any idea how many churches in Russia are now museums or places of business? Oh, better yet, you know how many churches in America are now converted into businesses. It's amazing how many that's happening. And as the Protestant church wanes in its membership, so many of their beautiful edifices are actually being bought and some are being demolished and others are being converted into apartments and business complexes and whatever. Oh, look at that church. It's now a business. No, the church isn't a business. The facility that we labeled church is a business. But Jesus didn't put that kind of restriction on it. Jesus' Jesus's manifested presence identifies any assembly of individuals gathered in his name as the church, regardless of the type of facility used for assembling. This simple yet comprehensive delineation uh, does not require any type of facility or nature or of activities to accompany the gathering. 
It can be the church if we gather out in the woods and pray. It could be the church if we're in a hotel ballroom. It could be the church if we're in a library meeting room. It can be the church if we're on a street corner. It can be the church if we're in a park. It can be the church if we're doing a prayer ride in a van. It's two or three or more of us are gathered together riding through the streets of our city praying. It's the church if we're doing a prayer walk. It's the church. It's the church. And again, I don't have a problem with having facilities. Call it what you want to call it. I don't care. Just as long, and I'm pleading with you on this, as you don't define the church and what the church is supposed to be and do by what takes place on that property and in that building, then you're fine. Call it what you want to. You're fine. But if I allow that concept to pervert, pervert the Scripture and not practice what the Scripture says, then it's a problem. It's a problem. Most of religious Christianity holds the view that the assembly must take place in a recognized or sanctioned church-type building in order for the meeting to be legitimately called a church. I have a question. Would you show me book, chapter, and verse for that? I'm going to see it. And again, I'm saying it again. I don't care what you call it. As long as you don't limit the word of God, the spirit of God, and the body of Christ to just those narrowly defined traditional parameters. I don't care what you call it. But it's the will of God for his body to be set free. It's the will of God for the gospel to be delivered from the prison of church buildings. It's the will of God. It's the will of God for the body of Christ to be sent out into his harvest field. Because he said the field is the world. And he commanded us to pray. He said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. That doesn't mean they don't exist. It means the people that should be the laborers are gathered in the barn. They're not gathered in the field. So he commanded us to pray. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Would you pray that with me? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that the body of Christ be delivered from the imprisonment and confinement in our facilities, no matter how beautiful they are, and that by the will of God and by the grace of God and by the fear of the Lord, And by the love of God, we would be compelled out into the harvest field. We would be thrust out into the harvest field for the sake of the lost and for sake of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so. Let it be so. God bless you.